Now, you guys are probably already there. We've been studying the book of Galatians. We're moving into chapter number two, uh, and uh, it's been, been fun. It's been good uh, thus far, at least uh, for me. I've enjoyed uh, the study and how the Lord's opened up the scriptures for me that I've never taken the time to really dig down into verse by verse before. And uh, I'm hoping, uh, you know, before I finish my ministry, I'll, ha- I'll be able to preach verse by verse through every book of the Bible. And uh, so I've got a ways to go. Uh, we got a little bit to do still, so work, working towards that end. I started with these small ones, you know. Uh, we'll get to Psalms and, and some of those bigger ones later on. Uh, but in Galatians chapter 2, for the sake of time, we're not going to read the entirety of these, but our text for tonight is verses 1 through 10. We're going to walk through it verse by verse. We'll look at these verses. You know, I was listening to a message earlier this week, and uh, the entire message, 38 minutes long, the entire message, and... Uh, not one passage of scripture was read. Now, the entire time he was saying biblical things, I mean, they were correct. Everything he was saying was in line with scripture. He just never pointed to the scripture. He never said this came from this verse or this is the, what the God's word says. Or I had to go back and listen to the beginning and never, even, in the, even as he opened, there was no scripture read. He 38-minute message, and I thought, wow. Um, I mean, he was preaching biblical truth. What he was saying was right, but the power is in the Word of God. And, and uh, we want to be sure and, and look at the Word of God. So we'll, we'll look at each verse as we're walking through tonight. When John, in the book of Revelation, saw the four beasts and the 20 elders fall down before the Lamb of God, uh, who prevailed in opening the seven-sealed book, he heard them singing a song, a song of praise. They sang a song... And, The scripture reads like this, they read, they redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, every tongue and people and nation. I'm thankful tonight that the word of God and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not sent to one particular group. It's not for just one particular small segment of society that it is to the whole world. God said in Titus chapter 2, verse number 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. All men. It's for all men, this grace, the message of the gospel. And that's what we're going to be dealing with tonight as we talk about the dispute over the gospel. Now, you guys know the book of Galatians, by and large, addresses this issue uh, that the church was having, the wanting to incorporate or add the law to the gospel, putting it back in. And we've talked about that as we went through chapter number one. But we're going to see, first of all here, Paul's message advanced in chapter two, verses one and two. So look with me now at the word of God, chapter two, verses one and two. He says, then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem... With Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. So, in these two verses, we want to walk through and see what we have here. First of all, we notice the clock. The clock. Uh, Somebody was just talking to me about my. Addiction to alliteration, so I apologize. <laughs> but uh, we're going to see the clock here. First of all, we see the time frame given this 14 years. Now, we don't know if this literally, the scholars, there's much debate as is this 14 years after his salvation that he went to Jerusalem, or was this 14 years after 
he visited Jerusalem that he went back to Jerusalem. They really, you know, they've taken a lot of scripture. I read so many things about people's different debate about, well, if you look at this passage, it says this. And so it has to mean that. And you know what? What I can look at is that there was definitely a passing of 14 years. From when it started and when it stopped, I'm not positive, but we know that 14 years passed. And I addressed this briefly last week, the idea of Paul continuing in the ministry, being faithful as he just kept on doing what God called him to do. And we praise the Lord for those that are continuing. But then we see his companions here. Uh, he took Barnabas and Titus with him. And uh, it's noteworthy that these men are, are with him. And we could spend some time talking about the ministry of Barnabas and how we should be like Barnabas. And, uh, but for the context here, it's really more critical that we notice Titus that is with him. And we're going to get to that in just a moment, pointing out how, why it's important that Titus was present. But we see the cause. He says here that uh, I went up, verse number two, the very first thing he says, and I went up by... Revelation. I want you to understand, beloved, that this was not a trip of advantage. This was not a trip of amusement. Hallelujah. <laughs> this was a, I got to stop. But this was a trip that, they, that he was called upon God. God stirred his heart. God gave him a revelation and said, hey, you need to do this. This is what I want you to do. It was something that God put on his heart and said, go here. It wasn't just something he wanted to do. I want you to know, beloved, that we, you and I would do well to be more, uh, to adhere more strictly to what God desires for us to do. If we would be sensitive to the leading of the Lord and allow him to direct our steps and allow him to point to us and say, hey, witness to that guy right there. And, and, and he has that door open and prepared and ready. And I can only imagine how many of those opportunities in my life that I have failed to respond to because I didn't follow the leading of the Lord. Paul yielded to the revelation of God here and God said, hey, I want you to go. And Paul said, OK, this is why we went, because God said, go. And I can tell you, you want to see some miraculous things happen in your life. Yield to God and follow him when he directs your steps. You'll you'll be shocked at what God will do and how he'll open doors for you uh, in ways you never thought possible if we would just follow his leadings. Are you listening for him? The fact of the matter is many Christians are living their lives doing what they want to do and asking God to bless it instead of doing what God wants them to do. If we want to be successful Christians, we need to strive daily to live in the revelation of God. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. And thou, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. If we would just follow the leading of the Lord and the direction given to us in his word, we see his uh, trip to Jerusalem here. We see the topic that they covered while they're in Jerusalem. The topic was this controversy, this dispute over the gospel. This is generally believed to be the conference that is referenced in Acts chapter 15. You might want to note in the margin of your Bible, Acts chapter 15, right there in Galatians. And I'll read it for you, or you can look at it in Acts 15, verses 1 and 2. He says, A certain man which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. When therefore Paul 
and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and the elders about this question. So there was some big dispute that they had, a discussion, and trying to determine whether real true salvation would include the necessary adherence to the law, the following of circumcision. There was a debate over this. There was a dispute about it. And so here Paul is referencing this trip that they made to Jerusalem where they sat down with some uh, respected church leaders and had a discussion over this issue. And the discussion is described for us and talked about as we continue through um, this. But the question was raised, and I want you to know that it's the same gospel for all men, uh, Jew and Gentile alike. And uh, we see... Those that he went and talked to, he notices here uh, in verse number two, he says, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation. You know, there were some there of reputation. Paul would spend time and talk to and preach to anybody that would listen. Men that were of high reputation and men that were of low reputation. Men that were uh, believed to be something and men that thought nothing of themselves. He had the same message that he preached to all men, regardless of who they were. And the real truth of his concern is stated in the conclusion of verse number two there. He says, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Beloved, we don't want our effort and our work for the Lord to be vain, empty, meaningless. Paul's adherence to the gospel and not allowing a following back on the rules and the rituals of the law. He said it's necessary. We can't go back to that lest the message that I preached is in vain. All of those that have come to Christ uh, would be pulled away and tripped up over this falsehood. I'm going to be addressing this aspect of vain labor, and I'm not going to spend time on it right now because there's several other passages in the book of Galatians that reference and deal with uh, things done in vain. Let me just say there's a lot of things that we give our energy and our heart to that really are just vain. They, they don't amount to anything. We spend exorbitant amounts of money today in vain pursuits. We need to be cautious about that and think about what we're doing with our lives and our time. We'll address that deeper uh, on another night. So we see here, first of all, Paul's message is advanced as he carries it to Jerusalem and he uh, debates with these men of reputation and says, hey, this is important. We need to have uh, a discussion about this because the gospel stands alone in Jesus Christ and him alone, nothing else. So Paul's determination is appreciated in verses 3 through 5. He's very determined about this thing. He's not going to let them be tripped up. He's not going to let them be, uh, you know, his words be twisted. He says here, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek. So now we, we, we're introduced to why Titus is so critical to this discussion. He says, Titus, that was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that, because of false brethren, 
unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave uh, place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So he acknowledges here Titus and his presence with him. Obviously, he took Barnabas, who was a Jew, uh, converted in Jerusalem, but he had Titus there, who was a Gentile. And Titus here, the scripture says that he was compelled, that there was people that came and said, hey, we noticed that you trusted Christ. We see that God has done something in your heart. And so now, listen, if you really want to be saved, if you really want to settle this thing, boy, you need to, uh, you need to get circumcised. But he says here, he was compelled, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And evidence of Titus's faith and his following of Christ was present, and people saw and recognized him as a leader in the church. Yet he said, here's a Gentile, wasn't circumcised, but is saved. If Paul was going to deal with this any other way, now would be a very clear time, but he used the presence of Titus to stand his ground. The Jewish believers that were there, uh, you know, circumcision was the uh, token of recognition of the, of the agreement between God and his people. This was the earthly token. And they were saying, well, in order to recognize the spiritual agreement, you've got to take this on as well. And that's simply not true. Essentially saying you've got to become Jews before you can become Christians. Only after that are you able to know Christ. But uh, he didn't follow the rituals or the law. And yet, illustrated by Titus, he's saying, yet he was saved. In Titus chapter 1 and verse number 4, he tells us that Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. So Titus was a son in the faith, yet he did not follow that. So used him as a, a real example for those uh, Jewish believers there in Jerusalem. I heard a great description of the law this week as I was studying for this. It was described as a trellis. A trellis that is put up in the vineyard for the vine and the grapes to grow on. But the trellis itself does no life. The trellis is dead. The trellis is a structure. It's a form. It has some measure of usefulness. But there's no life there. The only life is in the vine. And Jesus said, I am the vine. And ye are the branches. That is the life. And that's the life that the Christian has when they put their faith and trust in Christ. Why would you want to go back and partake of something that was dead? The trellis has no life in it and cannot give life. Only Jesus Christ can do that. But they were trying to go back to the familiar, go back to the law. We see in verse number four, these false teachers and their, their methods that they have. They were deceptive in their introduction. They, they came in privily. They came in a little bit sneakily. They came in a little bit... Uh, on the down low, keeping it on the table. They wanted to spy out the situation. He says they wanted to see what, what is this liberty that they are talking about that they have in Christ and how can we 
trip them up on this. That's almost how the Pharisees many times dealt with Christ. They would ask Christ a question, trying to trip them up. But uh, Christ often would respond with a question which would leave them, uh, you know, bumfuzzled. They, they didn't know what, what, how to answer. They were deceptive in their introduction. They were uh, determined in their intent, what they wanted to do. He says that they might bring into bondage. You know, as I pondered and thought about this, sometimes I wonder, what is the objective? What is the goal? Like, why would false teachers be so intent on trying to change people's minds into a false way? Why is it so important to them? What, what is their motivation? What is their goal? Here he says that they might bring them into bondage. There are many who attack the church today. They want to change the teachings, the straightforward teachings of the Word of God. You see, here's one way that you can recognize it. Their motivation is not the furtherance of the gospel. Their motivation is an adjustment to their own life. It's something that fits inside what they feel. Why would churches today have any question? Why would they be debating at all the conversation of whether homosexuality is sin or not? Why is that even a debate? There's, 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 no, there's nothing in the scripture that's vague about that. It's, it's very clear. And then to go a step further... Why in the world would some denominations be trying to ordain ministers into the pulpit that are practicing homosexuals? Beloved, it is not for the furtherance of the gospel. It's because they want the church and the word of God and the, the message to begin to fit in line with their life instead of letting their life fit in line with the scripture. That is the motivation of false teachers. They want to change the gospel to line up with what they want instead of lining up with what God said. Beloved, it's noteworthy here that we see these people adding to the gospel and saying, hey, you've got to be circumcised. And we all say, you know, amen. I'm, I'm, uh, it's clear that that's not the law. Paul dealt with this addition to the gospel over and over and over again in different books of the Bible. But do you know to take away from the gospel is just as much of a sin? We would look at this and say, well, obviously that's wrong. We shouldn't be adding to the gospel and saying, boy, anything's necessary. Why, that's legalistic. We shouldn't add anything to the gospel at all. But to take away from the gospel and say that you can follow Christ and still live in your sin, not have any repentance, not have any change, that, oh, you're, you're okay, that's, that's just as much of a sin. That's just as much of a problem to say, oh, that salvation doesn't change you, that you can just be what you were. No, true salvation changes us on the inside. The things we used to want to do, we don't really want to do anymore. Now, we still have a sin nature, and we got to battle that flesh. Boy, I wish we could do away with that. But we got to battle the flesh. But the thing is, is that the battle has started. 
that there's something inside you that says, I don't want to do that anymore. And when you do it, you kick yourself and you say, boy, I hate this stupid sin. I want to get away from it. I want to leave it alone and stop being involved in that. Lord, help me do better. And you confess and you forsake it and turn back to God. That's the difference. Today, many professors or, or preachers of this gospel that they would say, oh, you can profess Christ and, and um, be, continue to be what you were. I saw this week, uh, oh, I can't remember his name because, of course, I'm not real versed on rock stars. Um, oh, it's somebody that all of you would recognize. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's some heavy metal rock star uh, from years ago. I mean, it was really popular in the 80s or somewhere around there, maybe 90s. Um, and uh, anyways, he, he professed to have come to Christ, but he's still in a rock band, still singing heavy metal. And uh, he said he went to church and, and asked his pastor, and his pastor said, oh, God put you there for a reason. His pastor said, you, you've got a platform to be able to present the truth of the gospel. Uh, don't give that up. Listen, God will accept you like you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. So we see here, Paul was determined not to bow to these false prophets. He says, uh, we didn't give them even an hour. He said, uh, to whom we gave place by subjection? Nope, not for an hour. Why? That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Beloved, it's vitally important that we are not flexible on this issue. We can't stand around a campfire and hold hands and sing kumbaya with every, every uh, you know, would-be preacher out there that uh, is professing false doctrine the false message of the gospel, because compromise corrupts the truth of the gospel. You know, beloved, we are called to this glorious mission of preaching the gospel to the world. You know, choirs are nice. They're a blessing to the church. But we're not called to start choirs. Programs and, and, and activities in the church, they're nice, but we're not called to, to start uh, programs and activities in the church. Uh, you know, nice buildings and facilities, they're, they're amazing tools that can be used, but, but we're not called to build buildings. Every one of us are called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the church. That has to be the focus and the heartbeat of the church. If we get distracted and, and overrun by different activities and different other, other things that, that are used as tools to help further the gospel, but we've got to be careful that we keep the main thing the main thing. If you ask somebody, what is it that changed your life? What is it that, when you, that, that made the biggest difference? It was the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the death, burial, and resurrection. It was Jesus Christ that forgave you of your sins, cleansed you, and uh, lifted your feet out of a miry clay and set them on a rock. It's that truth. Oh, there's a lot of things that we are blessed with as Christians, but what changed us is the truth of the gospel. 
We see Paul's ministry is approved in verses 6 through 10. He says, first of all, verse number 6 here, he says, but of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it make no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seem to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. Now, I have to admit, I had to read that a few times to figure out what he was talking about. But, beloved, he's saying, listen, there was no addition made to the, to the message of the gospel by these people that were thinking highly of themselves. He said, these people here that were somewhat, they had some reputation. These were the big names in fundamentalism. These were the people that were recognized and whose names were published in different periodicals. These were the people of Jerusalem that uh, uh, everybody would look to to maybe have some authority in their movement. He said, but of these who seemed to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it makes no matter to me. God accepted no man's person. He said, listen, you can get as puffed up as you want. You're still just a sinner saved by grace like any one of us. I remember a uh, guy in Kansas used to always say, it's one piece of dirt talking to another piece of dirt. That's all we is. But boy, we like, we like people with reputations. We like people with letters behind their names and status behind their person. We accept them and we give weight to what they say based largely on their status or their credentials. But God says, those things are not what matter to me. It doesn't, Paul said, it didn't matter to me who they were. God's not impressed. God is not impressed by how many letters you have behind your name. All men are sinners. Some are saved sinners. Some are lost sinners. But we're all just sinners. And all are saved by the grace of God. God is no respecter of persons. These men here in Jerusalem might have had a big name. They might have been recognized or as authority on one topic or another. But they did not add weight to Paul's message. They didn't add authority to his message. Paul dealt with that in chapter 1, that his message was of God. Amen? That's where it comes from. He refuted that uh, and showed that his message was come from God. We see the area of his ministry is recognized in verses 7 through 10. He says, but counterwise, when they saw that the gospel of uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of circumcision, the same was mighty towards the Gentiles, in me, towards the Gentiles. So we see the recognizing of his area of ministry. He says, when, when, it, when people recognized or they saw the gospel of uncircumcision was committed to me and the gospel of circumcision to Peter. Now, this is not two different gospels. This is two different groups of people. He's saying he's, God had called him specifically to carry the message of the gospel to the Gentile world which is recognized and evidenced when he says there in verse number 8 at the end, he says, the same was mighty in me towards Gentiles. 
So we see that in that reference, he's talking about uh, the Jewish people who would be recognized as circumcised, and then the uncircumcised would have been recognized as Gentiles. And he references that here, making it very clear what he's talking about. It's not two different Gospels. It's two different groups of Peter uh, people. Peter was called to minister to the Jews. Uh, God called Paul, my brain is going faster than my tongue. God called Paul to minister to the Gentiles. That's how God set it up. And people recognized that that was his area of ministry. And we look back on it now, and it's very clear to us that God sent Paul to the Gentile nations. Amen? And we praise the Lord that he did, that he carried that gospel uh, to the rest of the world, that it could be carried ultimately one day to you and I. It was the same message presented to different audiences. You know, sometimes missionaries are criticized for taking the American gospel to other parts of the world. But I want you to know, and, and, and they're, they're criticized or, or told, well, hey, you're messing up that people's culture. Listen, if they have a culture of an adultery and fornication and, uh, you know, uh, incest, that needs to be messed up. And it's not, it's not American culture that's being given to them. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you take the gospel to a nation of cannibals, their culture right now is to eat their neighbor. But the gospel of Jesus Christ changes that because we're conformed into the image of his son. Now, there is an American gospel that sometimes gets carried to the foreign. And this is a gospel of prosperity. And that does not need to be carried to foreign countries. That is not what we're called to carry over there. They don't need to know about American uh, culture and about prosperity gospel and these things, but they need to know about the gospel of Jesus. And that's what we need to carry to them. He reminds them of the power that was displayed in Peter's life is displayed in his. That word effectually means mighty. Effectually uh, working in Peter, mightily working in Peter. And then he says the same word in a different way. He says, mighty in me, in Paul. He says, God was working just like he did in Peter. For Peter, who preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved, God did mighty things through Peter to work and carry the message to the Jews. God's doing the same through me to work and carry the message to the Gentiles. There's no denying that the same God is doing the work. Beloved, God is the one who works through us to reach men. It doesn't matter if you're smart or dumb or big or tall or small or should stop with the descriptions there. Uh, beloved, God uses men that are willing. It, your, your current capacity doesn't matter because God is the one that does the work. He said, just like God used Peter to do this great work over here, God is now using me to do this work over here, both empowered and equipped by the God of heaven to do what God asks us to do. And God wants to use you, beloved. Let's stop being so impressed with men. Let's stop being impressed by their buildings or their number of bus routes whether their field is prestigious or somebody else's field is poor. Beloved, God's called us to be faithful. He's called us to be faithful. I believe one day there's going to be a rude awakening for many bigwigs that when they get to heaven, 
they're going to find out that they're way back in the line to somebody who pastored a little church out in the middle of nowhere and was faithful to the flock that God called him to and just has continued to do what God wanted him to do. Just as I believe that there are many faithful church members, nobody calls their name from the pulpit, nobody pats them on the back or recognizes them very often, but uh, they're faithful to do what God wants them to do. They say the unsung heroes of the church are the nursery workers. <laughs> you know, every service back there dealing with them screaming babies until that long-winded preacher gets done talking. What I'm saying is there's a lot of people that make a church run. Not just the guy up front. And I believe God is keeping record and is going to reward His church for the faithfulness of God's people and what God has called them to do. Beloved, it's not about recognition. It's not about being praised of men. God sees your faithfulness. God calls us and enables us to do what he wants us to do. Let me just throw out with these different ministries... You know, Paul's ministry was different than Peter's. We don't need everybody's ministry to fit into our box. If we aren't careful, beloved, we'll get very much like the Pharisees. We'll get very much like these Judaizers here who said, what? You, you can't be a godly uh, Christ-centered church and have screens on the wall. Can't do that. We've had that criticism for Hunt Valley Baptist Church. And we say, oh, that doesn't, they're just a tool, they're just used. But if we aren't careful, we'll go somewhere else and, and maybe, they, maybe they like to clap. <laughs> Give Jesus a warm clap of praise tonight. And everybody praises, right? <laughs> There's nothing sinful about that. Nothing wrong, and, and we'll get, because we'll get, that's outside of our comfort zone. I mean, I'm not about clapping. You guys know I try and make sure that the song service is not a, you know, a, a glorified uh, performing arts conference or whatever. I mean, we want it to be focused on God. I mean, sometimes they clap for the kids and whatever. I, you know, it doesn't bother me. But what I'm saying is we got to be careful or anybody that's a little bit different than us, we look at them as they must not be right with God. They, they certainly can't be spiritual and clap in church. You know, there was a day not too many years ago that everybody believed it was wrong to have pianos in church, have any type of instrument. I don't know why. There's a lot of instruments in the Bible, but it was pretty widely held. And then, oh, pianos and organs are okay, but boy, you can't be, you can't be Christ-honoring and have a guitar. Certainly not. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you, you know. What I'm saying is we got to be careful. As long as it's not sin... As long as it's not contrary to the book. Now, there's ways you can use a guitar that aren't God-honoring. But you can use an instrument like a guitar or anything else in a, in a God-honoring way. I mean, Valerie could probably, you know, play these ivories pretty good and in a way that wouldn't be real pleasing to God. Can you? <laughs> Have you seen her do it yet, Brandon? <laughs> but I'm saying you could take any instrument and, and pervert it. 
Because God, uh, God has a pattern and a way that we're to live, and Satan has the opposite always. You know, one thing that you can do that I was taught many years ago um, by the, by, when I was an assistant for Pastor Scott Hanks, uh, and he's got a lot of wisdom, and he said, you know, what you do, you go to a church and uh, just, just watch the pastor. He says, if the pastor's clapping, you clap. Nothing wrong with clapping. And if the pastor's not involved in that, then you know something's not right. Like there's some people that aren't really in tune with whatever's, you know. But if the pastor claps, you clap. If the pastor gets up and says, praise the Lord, you, you, you know, you can just watch him and know that, that that's what's expected there. And it's okay because it's not sinful. It's not wrong. But you, would, you could get an idea of what would be normal there. And uh, I've been in places that, for me, was not, it was outside my comfort zone. But it's okay. Not everybody has to fit into my box. What we need to do is fit into God's box, amen? That's what we need to do. You know, we see the application of his ministry was rewarded in uh, verses 9 and 10. We'll bring this to a conclusion here. It says, and when James... Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. So, beloved, what these leaders in the church recognize is God's power on his life, God's direction, and in his enabling to do the work. They said, oh, it's obvious that God's using this man. They gave him the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and then unto the circumcision, again, recognizing there's two groups of people mentioned there. You have the heathen, which would be the Gentiles, and then unto the circumcision, which would be the Jews. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. So there's a couple of things we want to point out in these two verses. First is others that have rejected the apostles uh, that had rejected Paul's ministry, I want you to know it was recognized by these other leaders. Men who are faithful to God will recognize other men who are faithful to God. When you begin, there's something, the Bible says your spirit beareth witness. And, and you get into a place, and I love it when we're on vacation and we walk into a church and it's just like I walked into home. I mean, the spirit is right and the, the church is, is uh, moving forward for God and, and something's happening there. And boy, you just gather in with them and your spirit beareth witness that uh, there's, uh, you know, uh, a people there that want to honor and please God. Is there problems there? Probably. Just like there's problems here. You know, there's nowhere without problems. Because we're all sinners. And none of us do it right all the time. But uh, just to get in a place like that and be able to worship with them is so much fun. And uh, here's what he's saying. He says, they recognized. I like hanging out at church on vacation when we go somewhere. We'll hang out. Sometimes we're among the last people to leave. You know, just hanging out, talking to the pastor, meeting the people, hanging out. And uh, a bunch of the church members left a long time ago. And we're just hanging around talking, finding out about the ministry and what they're doing, you know. And uh, it's just fun. But these men recognized the faithfulness and the work of God in their life, and they were rewarded with a right hand of fellowship. Again, there is an implication here given that there was some discernment exercised. It says, when these perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me the right hand of fellowship. 
What I'm saying is they, they, there was some discernment. They, they, they looked, they considered. They watched Paul's life for a little bit. They said, okay, what's going on with this man who used to be a persecutor of the church? Is his change real? Is God really doing something in his life? They paid attention. And I want you to know, beloved, I'm careful who I give the pulpit to. We don't just turn it over to, you know, I can't, many times, Dad's here right now, and he'll tell you, many times when we were growing up and we were on vacation, we would, be, we would step into a church on Sunday morning. Nobody knew we were coming. During the song service, the pastor would come down. I saw it happen many times growing up. He would shake Dad's hand and say, you're a preacher? You want to preach this morning? Dad would say, sure. Dad would take the pulpit and he'd preach. I mean, many times that happened. And uh, that doesn't happen here. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to invite somebody into the pulpit that uh, I don't know their life and their history and who they are and where they come from and hopefully where they're going. And, you know, it, it, we've got to be careful. There's some discernment that's supposed to be exercised. I wanted to hear the other guy preach. I hear my dad preach all the time, you know. <laughs> but. I'm careful who I quote from in the pulpit because I know when I quote from somebody, I'm, I'm adding validity and a little bit of, uh, you know, recognition of who, who they are. And um, I know I impact and influence some people here at the church. And you say, oh, well, pastor quoted him. I can go read his books. And uh, some of his books might not be good. You got to have discernment. You know, I have a whole stack of books downstairs that I'm studying for Old Testament survey. And I got one that I thought was going to be really good. Got into the first, the first chapter, and this guy believes wholeheartedly in the gap theory. And I'm like, oh, pfft, there's, there's a trash book. Uh, believes in the gap theory. Believes in evolution. How can you be a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe in evolution? I don't know. But you got to be careful. And you got to know what you believe, and that comes with time. But we don't want to lead people astray. And then they give them some closing advice here, and they say, remember the poor. Now, you know, Paul, uh, if, if anybody had concern for them, Paul did, as he used to be the persecutor of the church. And if you, if you put these different passages together in the book of Acts and the book of Corinthians, you remember Paul went and collected the offering for the poor there in Jerusalem. And they were reminding him, hey, you're going out to do this, but don't forget about those, the poor people there in Jerusalem that need some help from you. And Paul says back to him, oh, <clears throat> appreciate it, but obviously I... I had every intention of carrying that, that offering to them and bringing that to them because I know that there's need there and I recognize it and we're, we're going to continue uh, to do so. And there's an admonition for us to consider the poor and uh, to, to be involved in some form of benevolence as a church. Uh, we could turn to the book of James and see the teaching on that, that we're not to be respecters of persons and so on. But uh, uh, just understanding that uh, Paul's ministry was rewarded uh, because God, people saw. I mean, I think about like Moses when he came down and people saw that he had been with God. And beloved, we, it should be evident that God's hand is on you. I really appreciated uh, what Brother Hunt said. Now, I didn't appreciate that he left us. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I talked to him this week on the phone. He's like, you didn't send that letter of, of recommendation. I said, I ain't recommended you, brother. No way. <laughs> no. I said, yeah, I sent it. I sent it directly to Fairhaven. He's like, oh, okay. I just wanted to make sure. And uh, we were talking on the phone. But, you know, I really appreciate what he said as we closed. The other, and he gave his going away testimony, basically, that he recognized God here. 
And when he came, when he came here and was in the services, he said, it just was evident to me that God was here. Um, not just that I know Pastor Caleb and I know who he is and I know what he, you know, who's influenced his life. He said, but I saw God. And to me, that's the biggest compliment or recommendation that, that anybody could give. Because I don't want people to see Pastor Caleb. I want people to see God. That's who's going to make a difference in their life. And Paul, it was evident in Paul's life. And because it was evident, people said, man, I want a fellowship with him. And if we have a church where people come through the doors and they see God, they'll want to be back. They'll want to be at a place where they can meet and talk to God because that's what it's for. Amen? That's what we want. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed.